Then pecuniary gift as the name says, it is a monetary gift. So it's a gift of cash. And we all like money and names. Put it in your will. You're giving me five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, we don't talk Naira, we talk Welcome to the Fit and Proper Podcast by DigiLaw, your host, Keyukemi Ubi, and co-host, Ufoma Bapore. Hello, you're welcome to today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast. My name is Keyukemi Ubi, and with me today is Ufoma. Myself and Ufoma will be discussing wheels and codicils. In our last episode, we started um, the discussion on wheels and codicils. So if you are lost or you have or some concepts are lost on you, you can just go back and look for it on our platform and you can find it and listen to it. So we'll be talking about wheels and codices today, continuing from where we stop. Hello, Kamaya, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you, Kikemi. I'm fine, thank you. Okay. So today continuing the discussion on um, wheels and codices, let's talk about legacies in your wheel. What is that all about? Alright, so, um, we already spoke about, and um, we introduced what the wheel is and what the code still is. So today we'll be diving into the contents of the wheel proper, not drafting now, but talking about things that we see in a wheel, and these are what legacies are. Legacies are the gifts that are made in a wheel. So the gifts that the testator gives out basically are what are called legacies. They may be personal gifts, they may be movable gifts, they may be real property. But whatever gift that is made in a will, whatever the testator gives in the will, is what is known as a legacy. So it might be real property and when it's real property, it's called a device. That's when it's land or a house. And when it's a personal property, it's called a decree. But both are known as Legacy. Okay, so are there types of legacies or gifts? Yes, of course. There are, there are different types of legacies. Aside from the fact that we said gifts may be personal, movable, or real property, there are specific um, classifications of gifts. And we'll just go right into them. There are general gifts, there are specific gifts, there are demonstrative gifts, pecuniary gifts, residual gifts. Now, for general gifts, when we say general gifts, we're talking about a gift that it's not specifically identified in the will. It's not something you can pinpoint and say, okay, this is what the testator meant when he said we should give you something. It's just um, it's a gift that is very broad or ambiguous. For example, if you say, I give a Rolex watch or I give a diamond watch to my first son, now that's not specific. The, the testator may not even have any Rolex or any diamond watch. So it means that the executors of the will may have to go and buy a diamond watch from the estate, from the proceeds of the estate, to give to the first son. So it's not a gift that you can specifically touch or a gift that you can actually identify. It's an ambiguous gift. It's a gift that is made, just just made. It might not even be existing at the time it was made, but it's something that is being given and may have to be acquired from the estate of the now, a, a, a problem with this gift is that it may abate where the estate is insufficient, that it may fail. 
because the estate is not able to, maybe there's not enough money to buy the gifts. So it may actually fail. It may suffer loss where there is insufficiency of the estate. So after they have to pay the creditors and probably give out every other gift, there's no other money you can buy a diamond watch. So that's what is known as abatement, where the, the estate is insufficient to cover for that gift, the gift will abate. But it will not be liable to redemption. Redemption is suffer loss because maybe it fails to exist aside the after the will has been made. That would be that would be for the next type of gift we are talking about. For a for a general gift, if there is enough money, it's never going to fail because you can you have the money to buy the gift. If after everything has been distributed, there's still enough money, that diamond watch is going to be bought and given to the first one. That's basically the whole gist around general gifts. For a specific gift, it's particular. It's something you can point to. For example, the testator says, I give my red Toyota Camry with registration number so and so to my son ABC. Now, there's no argument about this. Red Corona, um, red Toyota Camry with registered number so and so. The Camry is sitting in the park. They check the, the place number. Oh, this is the one. In case the man has two red cameras, he specified with the registration number. This is the one he's talking about. Or maybe can I even go on to say my Toyota Camry 2018 model with registration number so and so to my first son. Now this, this gift cannot abate. It cannot fail due to insufficiency of the estate because the gift exists. It is there where, where, uh, it has been there where, when the, the um, will was made, but it may be liable to redemption. Now, redemption means it may suffer loss when there is a change in form, damage, or loss of the property. So maybe when the testator made the will, that red Toyota Camry was still there. By the time he died, maybe one of his sons or his wife drove the car. They've not read the will at that time. One of his sons or his wife drove the car and then had an accident and then the car got damaged or maybe the car was stolen. That gift is going to, going to suffer redemption because it has failed to exist as at the time of execution. So unlike general gift that doesn't redeem, it may just abate if there is insufficient money in the estate or if the estate is insufficient. For a specific gift, if it is lost before the time of execution, then it fails. Because you can't go and buy another red Toyota family. It was specified that this is the one I'm giving to my son. So where that gift fails to exist, then the gift automatically fails. So something um, that is advisable when giving specific gifts is to give a substitute gift. So you can say I give my red filter camera to my son and in the absence of this gift or where this gift um, fails to exist, I give then another red filter camera should be bought in place of that. So when you make such substitute and um, substitute gift clause exactly, then it doesn't fail. But when it's just that gift that is there, if anything happens to that car, then that person loses the gift that is supposed to come to him. So that's this gift for specific and general gifts. Then pecuniary gifts, as the name says, it is a monetary gift. So it's a gift of cash. And we all like money. I mean, put this in your will. You're giving me $500,000. Yeah, we don't talk Naira, we talk dollars. <laughs> so yeah, this is a monetary gift. And where it is to be paid in intervals, so they can be made immediately. You can say, okay, I um, give to my son, like Chief Daddy. Let's go back to Chief Daddy. It's going to be our fictional reference. 
achieve daddy gains 50 million here, 100 million there, and this, all those are pecuniary gifts. But where is it to be paid in, in terms maybe say I give 100 million naira to my first son to be paid within a period of six months, maybe they are, or a period of five months, maybe they are going to be paying 20 million every month. It's called an annuity. So a pecuniary gift that is to be paid at intervals is known as an annuity. But when it's just paid once, yes, just paid once. So pecuniary gift is a monetary gift. Another type of monetary gift is a demonstrative gift. So every demonstrative gift is a pecuniary gift, but not every pecuniary gift is a demonstrative gift. Let's explain. A demonstrative gift is a monetary gift that is to be taken out of a specific pool of funds or property. So it's like a specific gift, just that it is monetary. For example, you say, I give the sum of 1 million naira from my current account number so and so with GT Bank to my friend ABC. So you are saying that money is not to be collected from any other place. So if it happens that something happens to that account at GTB, that gift will also fail. So it's a specific gift, but it is monetary. Mm-hmm. That's just the gist. It's to be taken out of a particular account. So even if the man has 10,000 10 accounts and he says this 1 million naira has to be taken from the GT account, you can't go to UBA and take 1 million to give to this, um, to the beneficiary. It has to be taken from that particular so, pool of funds. What if they don't have money inside that, that fund now? Then the gift fails. Yes, just like a specific gift is going to fail. It's going to be liable to redemption because it no longer exists. So that's the problem with specific gifts and demonstrative gifts. Where you specifically say this is where you are taking the gift for. If anything happens to it, then that gift fails and the person doesn't, the beneficiary loses that gift. So that's why we keep having a beautiful substitutional gift when you're making specific gift or demonstrative gift. So demonstrative gift is basically a specific gift for a monetary one. Then um residuary gift, this is very important. This means refers to the remainder of the testator's estate after satisfying all gifts. So after they are satisfied all gifts, they're giving all beneficiaries their gifts, they paid all the man's uh, all the testator's debts, expenses, taxes on the estate and liabilities. Whatever is remaining is what is called the residuary gift. Now, a residuary gift is made by including a residuary clause. For example, you say, I give the remainder of my property not specifically uh, decreted in this will to my wife and children to be shared equally. So you are just saying anything that remains after you shared my property should go to my wife and children. Now, failure to include a residuary gift will be will result to partial intestacy. Now why what is partial intestacy? You know intestacy is when a person dies without leaving a will. So you've left yeah. a will or a testator has left a will and properties have been given out. But then some properties are still remaining. How do we share this property? There's nothing in this will that shows how those properties are to be shared. So it's just like someone that has not left a will. That's why it's called partial intestacy. So to be able to execute uh, anything concerning the remainder of the estate, the family will have to go and apply for letters of administration to be able to execute the, the property. So when we talk about letters of administration and probate, it's going to be clearer. But it basically um, results to partial intestacy because you cannot handle that part of the estate which has not been specifically provided for. So that's why it's important for 
a testator to put in his will. That's why it's important for a testator to include in his will a residuary gift. Okay, so these are basically the types of gifts so, that exist. Yeah, so I know that you have um, you have talked about the situations where this will fail, but in some of the slightly disputes, you talk about some situations where this will fail. I just want you to situate for that on it. And also, sometimes, I know that Islamic law can be different from the regular ones that we know. So, can you just give us a circumstances where you Yeah, okay. Alright, so, like we, um, like you said, previously when we were talking, we mentioned ademption and we also mentioned abatement. So, a gift may fail by ademption. Now, this is where a gift ceases to exist at the death of a testator. And like we said, to escape the problem of ademption, you should make a substitutional gift. So that if the gift fails to exist, it doesn't fail. There will be a, a, a substitute. Then a gift may also fail by abatement. This is where the estate is insufficient to cover for the gift. And this applies to general gifts. When you say, uh, um, you should give my driver a red, um, pushy wristwatch, or you should give my driver a gold pushy wristwatch. So, and it has to be bought. And after every other gift has been given, there's no money again. That gift to the driver is going to abate, going to fail. Then a gift may also fail by lack. So this is where the beneficiary dies before the test. So the testator made a gift to his friend and it happened that the friend dies before him. The gift automatically fails because there's no beneficiary to that gift again. The person is dead. But to avoid the failure of the gift through lack, the um, testator may say, okay, I give so-and-so to my friend and in the absence of his death, or maybe in his absence, or if he predeceases me, the gift shall go to his children or to his issues. So yes, you can do that too. And um, this is for when it's not family members. But if it's a child of the, of the testator, yes, automatically that substitution, you don't have to include it. For example, if you make a will that you say, I give my house to my first son. If the first son predeceases the father, that's the testator, and he has children, that gift will automatically go to his children. So where it's for a child of the testator, you don't need to put that substitution clause. It's automatically going to go to the children of the, so that's the grandchildren. But if it's for someone aside family, if it's for a friend, like we said earlier on, then you should put the substitution clause that should he predecease me, then the gift should go to his first son or should go to his children equally. Exactly. So lapse is basically when um, the person dies before, the beneficiary dies before the testator. Yeah, lapse will not exist where the gift is made to joint tenants. So for example, you make the gift to a couple of people, to different persons. And one of them dies. Now it's not going to last because the gift was not just to one person; it was to probably three people. In such a case, the gift automatically goes to the next beneficiary, to the other. Maybe it was three people the gift was going to, and then one of them dies. The other two are going to share that gift equally. So, um, in such a case, lapse will not occur. Then, um, a gift may also fail where a beneficiary attests to the will. As a beneficiary, you should not be a witness to your will. Now, I think this makes sense because it might be like where someone who is a beneficiary under a will 
attest to the will. It could seem like there may there might have been some sort of foul play, like okay, um maybe there was duress or there was uneasiness, or you made the person give you or make you a beneficiary under his will. So as a beneficiary, you shouldn't attest to the will. Only persons who are not beneficiaries should attest. Also, a spouse should not witness the will. Spouse of a beneficiary or spouse of the testator himself should not witness the will. But this would not ex uh, this would not apply where the marriage happened after the um attestation. So let's say for example, Mr. A is a benef beneficiary under a will and Ms. B signs the will for the testator. After she has signed the will, later on, maybe two years later, she and Mr. A fell in love and they got married. It's not going to gift is not going to fail because the spouse of the beneficiary attested to the will. No, it's not going to fail in that instance because the marriage came after the will was attested to. But if it was that Mr. A and Ms. B were married at the time the will was made and Mr. A was a beneficiary, Ms. B attesting to that will is going to render the gift a failure. So that's just um it for beneficiaries and spouses witnessing. Then also a gift may fail on the ground of public policy. If in the eye of the court it doesn't make sense, it's not a it's not a gift that is supposed to be made. It's against public policy. And when the gift is uncertain, it's not something that it's maybe an ambiguous gift, it's not something that can be attained, it would also fail. Then for customary and um, restrictions, like you mentioned, you spoke about Islamic law and then um, customary law. So for Islamic law, there is the restriction that there are some restrictions. For example, you you can only distribute a certain portion of your property according to Islamic law, a certain percentage or a certain portion. Think two over three. While one over three has to be done according to Islamic law rules. So you can't just give all your property as you like. Where someone under Islamic law does that, where someone under Islamic law does that, then such a gift is bound to fail. Also for customary law, there are some rules that apply. For example, in Edo State, Gio Bay, that's the, the house of the testator, the dwelling place of the testator be given to his firstborn son. So where that um, house is probably with to someone else, then it's bound to fail. According if the person is under that customary law, for example, a chief or a king or someone that subjects himself to customary law. Then there is also the restriction of reasonable provision for dependents. For example, let's say a husband and wife are no longer together. He has a new wife and then he makes a will. And in the will, he wills everything to his new wife's children, abandoning his first wife's children. And these children depend on him for fees and everything. When the will is read, nothing comes to this woman and her children. She can actually make an application to invalidate that will because there is supposed to be a reasonable provision for dependents. So the whole gift made in the will will fail because it wasn't done and um, properly. This is according to section two of the Will's Law of Lagos. States like Abia, Kaduna, and other states also have this. So these are just some instances or circumstances where gifts are liable to failure. My next question now would be that can the testator revoke this will? Like, can I revoke my will if I read the will? At least, so how would I go about it? So if you remember in our last episode, we said that a will is ambulatory in nature. 
that it can be amended at any time, it can be changed at any time before the death of the testator. So this nature, this ambulatory nature of your will renders it revocable by the testator any time before his death. So if the testator sees that he no longer wants his will to be the way he has written it before, then he may revoke it and write a new will. Now a will may be revoked by either it can be revoked either voluntarily or involuntarily. A voluntary revocation is as follows, that's doing it of your own will. You may make a subsequent will and you are revoking the first will. Or you may draft a coded will, amending the first will. Uh, a second one is you may make a written declaration of your intention to revoke the previous will and then you may destroy the will. And this destruction has to be accompanied with an intention to revoke. That animals revocandi. Any revocation must be done with an intention. It should not be that maybe the will mistakenly fell into fire or something, and then and that will not amount to revocation. It must be that you intended to destroy the will and write a new one. That is when it will amount to revocation. Then for involuntary revocation, it could be done by operation of law or by subsequent statutory marriage. So what we say by um, let's let's talk about them one after the other. Voluntarily, by subsequent will or code will. Now, this must be expressed. For example, you may create a code will that you now say, okay, clause 4 of my will, dated so and so, has now been changed from this to this. Maybe I now give the property, I now give so and so property. Maybe the property was gifted to his wife before, and now he wants to give it to his concubine or to his daughter. So he drafts a code will that is just correcting the clause. He's not drafting a new will. It's just Drafting a code until that says I've revoked this. It's still the same will, but these clauses have been changed. Then, um, and this must be expressed. Or you can draft a new will and you include the revocation clause that states, I revoke all former testamentary dispositions made by me. So this is now the last, say, just saying this is my last will and testament is not enough. You have to add the revocation clause that says I revoke all Format testamentary instrument and testamentary disposition made by me. Then, for a written declaration of an intention to revoke the will, this may be some other written instrument that maybe after you've written a new will, you'll now go on ahead to also make this written instrument to include that you, you revoked your previous will and you had the intention to revoke that will. So, it can take whatever form. This written declaration can take whatever form. It can be a letter, it can be a memorandum of revocation, it can be a settlement or just a mere statement that says declaration of intention to revoke will. Then burning and tearing, like we said, this must be done with the actual intention to destroy the will. Now, it's not just cancelling the face of the will, it's actual destruction of the will. So it's either by burning, by tearing, shredding or otherwise destroy and it's done voluntarily not that something happened and the wheel fell into water and the pages got destroyed or fire happened the house got burned that would not be revocation of the will it's just rather be writing the writing the will all over again or it wasn't revoked in the first place but revocation by destruction is a voluntary act a willful act that is done with the intention to revoke then for um Involuntary revocation is said by operation of law. Now, this is done irrespective of the wishes of the testator. 
So the law may see that maybe a, a marriage happened afterwards. A marriage happened after the will was made. And under native law and custom, when you get married, maybe certain portions are supposed to go to your wife. And in your previous will, there's nothing like that. So automatically that will be revoked. Or also for a subsequent statutory marriage. Under the law, so when somebody gets married, there are certain things that have to happen in the will based on the contemplation of the marriage or based on the marriage that happened. So the previous will is going to be revoked. So involuntary revocation is not done on your own will. It's done by the law. The law consists that because of so-and-so circumstances, your previous will is being revoked. So a new will has to be created. Um, then, yeah, so basically that is for revocation. Then after, um, let, let's, let's make sure that we understand that it's important. The, the most important thing is always having that intention to revoke. So except for involuntary, um, revocation though, an involuntary revocation, we've already said is the law. So the law is already giving you that intention, imposing that intention to revoke on you. But one thing is certain that at any time before the death of the testator, he or she can revoke his will. Or they are will. Alright. So let's say that now I, I want to do, um, I, I don't, I'm going to make up my mind. See, my mind is to shift anyhow, you know. So now I want to revive the will back or republish the will back. Is that possible? <laughs> yes, yes, it's very possible. Like, there's, there's no, hope is not lost. As long as the testator is not dead, he can do anything he wants with his will. That's what we must remember. So if he has decided that, ah, that will that I revoked, I should not have revoked it, so I want it to remain the way it is. Instead of creating a new will, he can re-execute his will. That's called a reviver. So you're saying, I did not revoke the will before. Or you can create a codicil, a duly executed codicil. Now remember that a codicil must be executed like a will. So you execute a codicil stating your intention to revive. Once you've done this, your will has been brought back to life and it remains like it was never revoked. Now we should understand that there's a difference between revival and republication. Why revival is for a will that you revoked before and you wanted to come back to a previous state. Republication is basically confirming the status quo. You are saying that I made this will and I did not revoke this will. So um, let me see. Let's say for example, a will got burned to a house and there was no intention to destroy the will. A house got burned or the lawyer's office got burned and somebody's will was in it and it got burned alongside. Republication would just be the confirmation of that will. That this will is all revoked. It still remains my will. So they'll probably just draft it all over again, execute it again, but that's merely republication. It's not a reviver. A reviver is the will was revoked and it brought back to life. Republication is you're confirming an unrevoked testamentary instru- in instrument or interest. So now, I think this might be my last question for wills and um, codicils for today. So are there any limitations on the right of a testator? So we've already spoken about some of these limitations when we talked about failure of gifts, like customary law and Islamic law limitations, and also the fact that you should have a reasonable provision for your dependents. This will limit your rights as a testator to giving your gifts the way you want. But there are also other limitations like capacity, mental capacity. We discussed this last week when we talked about the capacity to make a will. As 
a testator. You can only you only have the right to make a will if you are in a state of sound mind. We already know you must be of age, either eighteen according to some will laws or twenty one according to the will act. But you must have mental capacity to be able to create that will. So where you don't have mental capacity, even if you say I, I have the right to give out my property the way I want to, if at the time you are giving out that property you're not in or the testator is not in a state of uh, it's not in the right frame of mind or doesn't have the right mental capacity at that material time, whatever gift he makes will probably be invalid be invalidated because he did not have the mental capacity at the time. And then for customary law and Islamic law restrictions, like we already mentioned there, those states um practice, Islamic law, rules of inheritance where only certain portions can be giving of your own free will and the other will be giving in accordance with Islamic law. And every customary law has their own um, provisions as to how you distribute your property to like for example, do now the law Supreme Court has overruled that before in Igbo culture you see that girls are usually not using their father's house. So as at that time you see um it should have been invalid where under Igbo customary law, if a man should have willed his house to his first but now that will not be the case. Then reasonable provision for your dependents, where the will is made, and when making will, even though you have the right to dispose of your property the way you want, you should always do it with the fact that you have people depending on you and you have to provide for these people in your will. So these are just some limitations that exist as a testator. So even though the testator has the power, he's the one that says how he wants to spread my property, of course, is my money. But there are still certain things that limit you or guide you as to how you are to dispose of your property. All right. So I know I said that was the last question, but I was just thinking now that since you said reasonable provision for dependents, I'd say, for example, now if a man, let's say, okay, has like a wife, yes, he has like a wife, a first wife, that like, he has children for him. Let's say the yeah. children are like 18, 19, 20, but they are all still in university. Then he has another wife that has. Yeah. Children, and then yeah. he tries to wield all his uh, property to the younger wife and younger children. But the older children are still yeah. dependent on him because they are still in the university. Is this rule still yeah. going to apply or still apply because they are already adults? It's still going to apply because their source of income comes from him. And if it can be shown that over the years and up to the fact that they are still in university, their school fees and everything has always been from their father and that's what it's depends on there's no other sort of income, of course it's still going to apply, notwithstanding the fact that they have come of age or they are not adults. It doesn't matter because you don't have any other source of income. They are dependent on their father. Mm, okay. So I was just going to emphasize that once it's shown that this person depends on the testator, then that rule governs. Alright. So our audience, mm-hmm. we thank you for listening to us as always. Please feel our feedback on the work of this you would like us to discuss. Also, feel free to reach out to us through our social media. If you have questions and suggestions on Twitter and Instagram, we are at DigiLawNG. Also, to show support, you can subscribe to our podcast on Google and Apple Podcasts and give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts. If you use Anchor to listen, you can click the favorite button so you get notified anytime we release a new episode. And if you are too shy to enter our DM on social media, your eye is pushing you. You can ask to ask a question. You can ask a question by recording a message on Anchor and send it to us. 
as always, we appreciate your feedback. We hope you've had a great time listening today. So we'll meet again. I mean your host. Stay fit and stay proper. Goodbye. And that's all for today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast, a Digilaw production. For more about Digilaw, you can check out our website at www.digilaw.com.ng. Follow us on social media. On LinkedIn, we are at DGL Africa. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at DigilawNG. The Fit and Proper podcast was hosted by Keyukemi Ubi and Ufoma Bakpore. The scriptwriter is Keyukemi Ubi. Production and editing is by Akin Ifai Agumbiade, while voiceover is by Fashion Adibi. Until we meet again, stay fit and stay proper. <laughs>